Okay, welcome everybody. What we wanted to do um, is to talk about the relationship between corporate bonds and mortgage bonds over the next um, 20 minutes or so. This is based on a paper which uh, the two subject matter experts who are joining me published last week. So from high-grade strategy, we have Nate Rosenbaum. And from our mortgage strategy effort, we have Nick Masunius. My name is uh, Steve Dulake. I'm responsible for spread research here at the firm. And I have a number of questions um, for both Nick and Nate. Where I wanted to start is how we got here today. Earlier in the year, I think we and other commentators uh, made the case that mortgage securities looked cheap uh, versus high-grade corporate bonds. Based on the flow information that we have access to, it certainly feels like investors agreed and put that trade on. Yet today, mortgage bonds are still looking cheap versus corporate. So the first question that I have to both of you, perhaps Nick, you could kick off and then Nate chime in, is you know, how did we get here? Why are mortgages still seemingly not performing in versus corporates and still looking cheap? Sure, Steve. Um, so on the mortgage side, we started the year looking at yields that were basically in line with similar duration corporates. And that contrasted with the experience of the last 15 years or so, when corporates tended to out-yield mortgages quite significantly. The reason that MBS yields look so attractive is that MBS investors are short a prepayment call option to the borrower. And when volatility is high and the curve is inverted, that option is more valuable. And that means that the MBS investor needs to get paid more yield to take on additional risk. Unfortunately for MBS, volatility has remained elevated as the market has continued to push out the Fed pivot, and the curves reshaped quite a bit over the past year. And in addition to that, the technical picture for mortgages has been quite strained. The Fed's quantitative tightening continues to run MBS off the balance sheet. And while they aren't outright selling MBS, they don't replace paydowns, which then need to be absorbed by the private market. At the same time, U.S. banks, which have been the other traditional pillar of MBS demand, have had a tough go of it in 2023. Once again, mortgages were at the center of a U.S. banking crisis, though this time it was their duration and convexity that was the problem. And during the regional banking crisis in March, they shed about 150 billion of MBS. And since then, they have just been in paydown replacement mode. They don't have the deposit growth to grow their securities portfolio, and they're quite wary of adding duration in MBS form. And that's left money managers to shoulder most of the burden. They've gone quite overweight in response, and we now think, in aggregate, they're around 7.5% overweight versus the Bloomberg Ag. But they still require wider spreads to add to that overweight. So on the back of that volatility and the weak technical picture, mortgage excess returns have been around negative 130 basis points on the year, in contrast to corporates, which have significantly outperformed treasuries. So I'll turn it to Nate to discuss what's gone right for corporates. Great. Thanks, Nick. Uh, You know, so on on the corporate side, what we've seen all year is that despite starting the year with relatively tight spreads, um, you know, we've managed to grind even tighter, uh, about 13 basis points tighter on the year, uh, which has translated into a positive 280 basis points of excess return. So significantly outperforming uh, mortgages so far in the year. And I think what's, what's driven that outperformance is that you know, we've had uh, an environment of increasingly high yields. And so despite spreads being expensive, uh, yields keep getting cheaper. Uh, and so in this battle between yields and spreads, yields are winning and they keep uh, and that keeps reoccurring. 
Um, what's driving this in the background is just the very strong technicals that yields higher yields have engendered uh, with demand coming in from institutional investors uh, as well as retail investors across, across the globe uh, for corporate credit product. Uh, alongside this, you know, in the background, uh, fundamentals, credit fundamentals have held up quite well. Uh, EBITDA is only down about 2% year on year, uh, whereas the cash paid out to shareholders has decreased by 2x that, uh, or over 5% year on year. Um, and so corporate treasurers are actively protecting the balance sheet, um, which has you know, also contributed to the spread tightening that we've seen in corporates and thus the outperformance versus mortgages so far this year. So what I wanted to do now, guys, is fast forward to today. We're in the early stages ourselves of thinking about our 2024 outlook and how we should allocate a portfolio across different asset types and product types. So you know, how should we think about this, the, the, the relationship between mortgage securities and high-grade corporate bonds today? Sure. So on the mortgage side, looking at pure yield clearly has its risks. If we realize the single forward path of rates, things are great. You'll get this fat yield without any credit risk. However, rates forwards aren't often actually realized. So mortgage investors like to model out their exposure to prepayment risk. To do that, we look at both the forward curve and swaption volatility to get a sense for how wide the probable distribution of rate paths could be. And then we run a Monte Carlo simulation to estimate the average cost of being short that prepayment option across 500 simulated paths. When you strip out that cost, you're left with the option adjusted spread or OAS, which is the average spread you expect to earn across all of those scenarios. This spread should in theory better account for that key risk to mortgages, which is interest rate risk, and give us something to compare corporates to. So Nate, do you wanna explain how we tried to quantify the downgrade risk in IG credit? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, so once you have that OAS on the corporate side, the question then becomes, what are you supposed to compare it to on the corporate side? Um, and our answer to that in, in our piece is that you know the the negative scenario that OAS is accounting for is when the mortgage gets called away from you, um, and thus the mortgage security gets gets paid down ahead of time. The equivalent negative scenario for a high grade corporate bondholder is when that bond gets downgraded from investment grade to junk. And then in most scenarios, an investment grade investor becomes a forced seller of that security. And so the question then becomes, what is that downgrade, uh, that downgrade risk worth? Um, and so in our piece, we proposed uh, three different uh, ways to estimate that downgrade risk. Uh, the first one is simply to look back at historical fallen angels over the last several years. Uh, and, and figure out what is that worth spread-wise. Our answer was about 20 basis points uh, of a sort of haircut, if you will, to credit spreads to account for fallen angel risk. Uh, we then extended that analysis back through time uh, to account for the great financial crisis as well. Um, and, and the answer obviously grows a little bit given the uh, you know tremendous wave of downgrades in 08, 09. Um, and we think that you should haircut spreads perhaps by about 40 basis points. The, the problem with these two analyses is they're both backward looking. Um, and so that's why we also came up with a third approach, which we feel is a little bit more dynamic uh, and perhaps a little bit more forward looking, which is to look at the bond CDS basis. Uh, one could argue that as a bondholder, 
if you want to be protected uh, from downgrade risk, you can go out and buy single name CDS on that security. Um, and the mark to market uh, on the CDS should in theory offset the spread widening uh, that the bond would encounter in a downgrade uh, to junk scenario. And so if we go about that approach, uh, our downgrade risk, if you will, um, costs roughly 70 basis points. Um, and so we come up with those three scenarios, you know, and we think perhaps the answer is, is somewhere in between uh, the 20 to 70 basis point range. A question to you, Nate, in, in terms of using the cash bond CDS basis, in my mind, the sort of basis or at least buying CDS protection you know, compensates you for, for risks over and above downgrade from sort of high grade to junk. So don't you think you're overestimating that cost by looking at the basis? I mean, I, I granted, I take it it's, it's a, a real-time indicator and perhaps a very relevant one, but don't you think you're overestimating that cost? And then my second question to you is, given the environment we're in, you know, how are you thinking about downgrade risk today? Yeah, that's exactly right, Steve. Uh, I think the you know when you go out and buy CDS, you're not just protecting yourself against a downgrade to junk, but also um, a default. Uh, but given that defaults are an extremely rare occurrence uh, for investment grade securities, uh, you know on average over the last forty years, roughly 0.01 percent of investment grade securities end up uh, defaulting. And so you know so the the CDS is is mostly accounting for uh, downgrade risk in our view, but clearly it is overestimating this premium. And so that's why we think the answer, you know, is, is somewhere in between uh, these various approaches in that, you know, 40 to 50 basis point um, range. And as to your second question in terms of kind of the forward outlook for, for downgrades, you know, we think that, that uh, credit risk is relatively, you know, low at the moment. Uh, we've seen steady wave of upgrades, you know, from triple B to single A uh, over the last uh, two and a half years, such that the uh, the triple B share of the index is down to you know the high 40s, uh, whereas it was well above 50 several years ago, and the triple B minus share, which is which is more important, um, is now just 11%, which is a seven-year low for the investment grade market. Uh, and when we polled our you know team of analysts as well. Um, you know, they can only they were only able to come up with roughly 50 billion of potential fallen angels over the next several years uh, versus 2x that amount of potential rising stars, companies going the other way uh, from high yield up to investment grade. And so um, downgrade risk, you know, does look, uh, you know, uh, relatively minimal uh, on a go forward basis. Uh, which would be in line with, you know, our estimates for that cost being, you know, somewhere in the low, uh, you know, low double digits uh, basis points. Thank you, Nate. Um, coming back to you, Nick, and and talking about mortgages. I mean, I, I just had a very simple question. And you and the team have written extensively about the absence of bank buyers and the need for asset managers to sort of fill the gap somewhat and carry the load in terms of demand for the asset class. Given the cheapness of the asset class today, you might argue that asset managers haven't been entirely able to fill that void. And given ongoing QT and Fed balance sheet runoff, I mean, are we in an environment structurally where, where it's going to be very hard for mortgages to perform until one of those two things or both those things actually reverse themselves? 
Yeah, it's challenging for MBS to trade as tight as they have historically without support from the banks. As we discussed earlier, the technical picture will always be stretched when money managers are the marginal buyer because they're more spread sensitive and they don't have the same regulatory advantages to buying MBS that banks do. Um, you know, I would mention that a winning scenario for mortgages is generally viewed to be a recession event where the banks do, in fact, come in because into a recession, Banks tend to like to add duration in the form of guaranteed assets, and they hold them in AFS, and this helps them to offset potentially higher loan loss reserves. And since mortgages offer an attractive spread to treasuries, they could do particularly well in that environment. Um, away from the banks, though, we have started to see some inklings of new demand from non-traditional foreign buying. Tick data has shown that there's been some more activity out of Europe and Canada, and, you know, it's just the beginning of that interest, but uh, it is perhaps notable that spreads and yields are wide enough to bring in some new investors. Thank you. And um, I suspect you're going to tell me that this is not a very good good comparison at all, or I'm going down the to totally the, the wrong alleyway. But, um, you know, I did want to think, did want to ask you about that cohort of the mortgage market where you don't, we don't really need to think about, um, some of these options which you've considered and thought about in terms of your analysis. So if we think about low mortgage rate, a low mortgage rate, Paul, it will take a, an awful lot of, in terms of interest rate declines to start to see uh, that pool being prepaid. Isn't this cohort a much simpler comparison versus high grade corporate bonds? And how do you think about low coupon MBS in this environment? Yeah, and low coupons still comprise the bulk of the MBS index. And these bonds, such as Fannie twos and two and a halves, are four to five hundred basis points out of the money, which means that their option cost is dramatically lower than on the current coupon. However, that also means that their spreads are significantly lower than what you're going to get paid for new production bonds. So you're only going to pick perhaps 50 to 60 basis points over treasuries on those lower coupons which makes them often less of an attractive comparison to the all-in yields you get on corporates. But Nate, is there something that might be a natural comparison on the corporate side? Yeah, I think the natural comparison to the, the little coupon mortgages that are you know, unlikely to get called would be the, the long end uh, of the corporate credit market. Um, but that is the part of the market that we think looks the most overvalued at the moment. You know, it is the part of the market that has tightened the most uh, on the year, nearly 22 basis points tighter or, or 2x the 10-year part of the curve, and such that the 10-30 spread curve is now down to only 16 basis points, uh, which is very close to the record lows that we saw uh, in the last cycle of 12 basis points. And that's because of the technicals. You know, you've seen very strong demand from pension, insurance, liability matching investors around the globe for long-end corporates, whereas on the flip side, uh, issuance of long-end corporates has fallen significantly because issuers um, do not want to lock in high coupons you know, for longer than they need to. Um, and, and so we think uh, thus, you know, this is what's driven this overvaluation. If you look back through time, when a high-grade company does go down to junk, uh, and then eventually defaults, that tends to happen you know, past the 10-year point. One can argue that fundamentally, you should get paid much more than 16 basis points for taking that extended um, credit risk. And so it definitely does look you know, relatively tight to us. Thank you. A last question to both of you. 
I mean, how are you th- each thinking about your own asset class today? I mean, where, where do you see, you know, value in high grade corporate bonds? Where do you see value in mortgages? Let's sort of perhaps give a preview of how we're thinking about things as we move into uh, 2024 from an asset allocation standpoint. Nick, why don't you kick off perhaps? Yeah, within the mortgage sector, there's still more fundamental value up the stack in MBS. So you have wider OASs and much wider nominal spreads. We'd prefer to position up the stack as a result, and we think that paper could do particularly well uh, if and when implied volatility does eventually come down. That being said, there are some cheaper bonds in mortgage space and some of the lower coupons. So in particular, there are some specified pools and some of these low-cap floaters that are essentially fixed-rate surrogates that have been trading at very wide spreads recently. And then on the, on the corporate side, you know, I think if the, the conclusion of our analysis, which we published last week, is that corporates are indeed still you know, arguably cheap to mortgages. Uh, based on this downgrade risk analysis, the part of the market that you want to look to is where you feel that downgrade risk uh, is, you know, the most uh, de minimis, if you will. And that to us right now is is the financials, uh, which have also, you know, widened quite significantly uh, over the last several weeks on account of, you know, rising supply pressure uh, for the larger banks, uh, as well as, you know, lukewarm earnings for some of the regional banks. Uh, and so this has driven the, the, the spread differential between financials and non-financials um, to a 10-year wide of about 50 basis points. We see value in the, in the financials and particularly the large banks as we head into year end. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Nick. That concludes the podcast. Please come back to us if you do have any questions based on anything either that uh, Nick or Nate have said today or uh, once you've given yourself the opportunity to either reread or read the note that was published a week or so ago. Thank you.